Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple pencil with it, I have been doing that on there and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook... Here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper like, and I'm sure it's it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use, and paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better... This is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, to get started. We have a list on our website, warrockandajax.com, called Every Story Ever. What we're doing is we're taking lists from our listeners of three comic book stories, and then we are placing those stories on the list from best to worst comic book stories of all time. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the War Rocket Ajax Every Story Ever special for May 2023. 
My name is Matt Wilson. Chris Sims is also here. Hello. And what do we do on this show? We rank comic book stories. You heard me from the past explaining it all over the music that starts this show. So I don't I don't need to say anymore. <laughs> it's just you just had an interesting bit of vocal fry just now. <laughs> That's all. I, as I explained to Chris, I have a bit of the allergies today. The weather has been wild around here. And, you really uh, got into it being the show. <laughs> this is what happens when I'm a little stuffed up. I get dramatic. All, all my speech gets dramatic. You're a dramatic guy, Matt. It's true. I love drama. Oh man, this this guy loves drama. So like you you know he knows what happened on Max's succession last night. Oh, I do. I I watched it as it aired. Chris, we don't talk about TV on this show. No spoilers. Well, Matt, it's not TV. That's true. It's Max. It's, it's Max. It's Maxwell. <laughs> uh no spoilers for the series finale of succession here on every story ever instead we rank comic books as i said and chris do you want to give a quick rundown of the state of the every story ever list as it stands currently i don't matt because when i do that it makes me a little bit sad that's fair i i could do it if you would prefer <laughs> why don't you why don't you do it this time i'm curious to know what you will how you will approach this problem okay that is our lives well currently the every story ever list which we have been building that we've been chipping away the marble from for i believe this is our ninth year of doing that surely to god it can't be i think we started in 2014 god almighty okay yeah sure the Top story, the story that has been number one on the list for many years now, is Spider-Man, If This Be My Destiny, slash the final chapter. That is issues uh, 33 through 35, I believe, of Amazing Spider-Man. It is the best comic ever created by our standing here. It is is actually uh, 31 to 33. 31 to 33, yes, I've... I did get those numbers wrong, and I apologize. It's okay, because you we keep two separate lists. We do. Yours just has the story title. Mine has mine is the expanded data spreadsheet with uh, all kinds of information that I like to keep track of. Yes, my list is the one that is shared with the public. Yeah, my list has some. My list has some comments. My list has a notes column that is not always charitable. Not for public consumption. Yeah. Yes. Uh, f- last on the list, at number 1,451, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is 2006's Identity Crisis by Brad Meltzer and Rags Morales. It started at the bottom of the list i believe started at the bottom now it's here it is still there (laughs) 
it's still where it was at the beginning, at the bottom. And uh, nothing has dethroned that from the bottom. Nothing has... What is the opposite of a throne? What's the worst chair you could sit in? (laughs) (laughs) The worst chair. Yeah. That's a... Please, let us know what you think is the opposite of a throne. That's what Identity Crisis sits in. Spider-Man, if this be my destiny, slash the final chapter, is on the throne and has remained on the throne for many years. Will one of them be unseated this month? Probably not, but we can try. Especially not like people have tried with Identity Crisis. And that is one of the reasons that the list makes me a little sad. But it's it has n- never happened, and I think we're right. Yeah, I think I think we're right. I think the next to the bottom story is the only one that's ever come close. Holy Terror by Frank Miller. Yeah. So there's some there's bad comics down at the bottom of this list, man. There's some it's real true. bad comics. It's true. There's some real bad comics. I texted you the other day. I was just like driving somewhere, and when I got to where I was going, I texted you, and I just texted you, hey man, and you were like, what's up? And I said, Cal AOL Turner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I have to tell you that there was a bit of time between hey man and Cal AOL Turner, and I really thought about a lot of things that you could be texting me hey man about. I, it was a huge relief for it to be Cal AOL Turner. Okay, well, generally speaking, if if there's anything you need to worry about, I will text you. I'll text you with the quickness on that one. Okay, but but, but you know how I am. <laughs> you I know, know how you are. I'm have. the same way. That's why I tell you up front. But like, I'm not gonna introduce. I'm not gonna introduce something bad for with. Hey, man. I feel like hey, man is. The way to it is the dude friendship equivalent of we need to talk. See, that's I always think about Hey Man in the like because uh, there's that uh, Akewood strip where someone leaves a like a like a package for Theodore with Ray and Ray just writes Hey Man on the note (laughs) and like the alt text joke is like that's what ray would say if he was there so that's what he writes (laughs) so just you know hey man that's all that's true hey man let's get to ranking chris we've gone over the list and where it stands you nice shot that's true that's true we are 49 comics away from having ranked 1500 comic book stories upsetting oh also this is the 100th episode of every story ever (laughs) okay so no fanfare no we're not doing anything special uh we talked about potentially doing something special for the 100th episode and everything that got suggested while fun while it sounded fun sort of breaks the show like doing anything special for one of these specials means we're not getting through submitted lists sent by line steppers to our Patreon. And I don't think any of it works. Like 
there were suggestions of us like only ranking Nancy comics, of us only ranking like bottom shooters or trying to find a new top of the list or whatever. And occasionally, you know, in October we do every spooky ever, and in December we do every Santa ever. But I don't think there's any way to do this show generally other than just taking lists from wine steppers in order. All right, which is why it's finally time for us to rank Copernicus Jones, Robot Detective. <laughs> oh, that was also suggested, yeah, our, us ranking our own comics, which we will never do. Oh, so you want it to be the last episode of the show? That's what I said, whoever suggested that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't yeah. want there to be a show anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, on the special 100th episode of... Oh, another – the suggestion I probably would have accepted and done for this episode was to rank all 100th issues of various books, uh, which I think would be fun. But again, I think it breaks the show to to do something like that. So we're going to just start with the list, this list from Andrew Larson. You know what this means, though, Matt, is that finally the show can be syndicated. That's right, yeah. We've made it to the syndication number. Give us a call, local CW affiliates. <laughs> Please put every story ever on the CW at 3 o'clock in the morning. I would love that. <laughs> uh, Andrew has some Tom King Batman stories for us. Oh, no. Oh, no. First up is issues 36 through 37 of the Tom King Batman run. That story is called Super Friend. Is that, that is the one with, with Superman and Batman. Yes? I believe so. I'm, I'm going to look it up to verify because I'm going to tell you straight up. I read all these issues of Batman but th- my brain was as smooth as it's ever been reading <laughs> these. And uh, yeah, that is the that's the the Super Friends. That is the story guest uh, guest starring Superman and Lois. That is essentially a Batman, Catwoman, Lois Lane, uh, Superman, like Bruce Wayne, Catwoman. I don't know if I should use their code names or not, because Lois doesn't have one. Bruce Wayne, Selena Kyle, Clark Kent, Lois Lane, Double Date. Oh yeah, I remember I remember this story. This is the best story in the entire run. It's It's good because it's such classic Superman. Yes. That's what I remember liking about it. It is the only time. Like, even at its even before it kind of soured on us, like when we were still holding out hope for the Tom King Batman run, uh, we were, like, I said that it is apparent to me that Tom King seems to like everything about Batman except for Bruce Wayne. Uh-huh. Like that he like he likes 
seems to like Alfred. He seems to like Gotham City. He seems to like the villains. Okay. But he doesn't seem to care for Batman, the character. Uh, this is the first story and kind of the only story in the run where, where I feel like he gets Batman. And that is in the scene where uh, Superman and Batman are talking about each other. And they're both like, I mean, yeah, like, I have to do this, but he could do anything. Like, Bruce is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's like, here's the thing about Clark. Like, he's such a good guy that he can do, that even though he has the power to do whatever he wants to do, he chooses to help people. Like, I'm not like that. I have to do this. Like, I have a compulsion. But, like, he could do anything. And meanwhile, Superman's like, yeah, but, I mean, you look at Bruce Wayne, he's super rich. He doesn't have any powers. He has no obligation to to do what he does, but he spends his whole life helping people. Like, that's incredible. And I loved the idea that not only do both of those guys think that about the other, but that that is, like, that is also how we should think of them. Like, what makes Superman such a great character is that he could do anything, but this is what he chooses to do. That's a really good, like that's a really good bit. And that's a really good evaluation of those two characters that is not always present in the rest of the run. I I think everything you just said is completely spot on. There's another different reason why I like this story. Okay. And I've looked through it a bit now to remind myself of what it what it is and what happens in it. What I like about this story most is that it could be an episode of the Batman Superman Adventures. Yes. Or maybe even more specifically, an episode of Justice League Unlimited. It feels like that in that it's just these characters hanging out. And it even does a thing that an episode of the Batman Superman adventures does, which is have Superman dress up like Batman. Yes. Because when the double date shows up at the carnival for their date, they're just dressed in their like civilian clothes. Yeah. It's it's Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne. Yeah. But they are told at the door that it's superhero night and they have to be in superhero outfits to get in. They have to be cosplaying to get in. So Batman wears Superman's costume. Superman wears Batman's costume with glasses on, which is an amazing detail. Fantastic. Yes. Catwoman is Catwoman's not dressed as a superhero. <laughs> no, because she just switches clothes with Lois. Yeah. And when the guy tries to stop her, she just Catwoman's at him. Yeah. And Lois wears Catwoman's costume. And so the whole issue, as you're saying, Chris, gets to be about how these characters relate to each other and the differences between them and, and what makes makes them who they are. And that's good. It's it's a dig into who these characters actually are that, yes, as you said, 
I think King doesn't do a lot of through the rest of the run. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's the best story in the entire run. Like, how many stories are there that are about, like, oh, here's the difference between Batman and Superman. Here's here's them as a counterpoint to each other. And how Batman is the way he is and why Superman is the way he is. Yeah. That's a story that's been done a lot. But this is a really good example of it. Yeah. But it's also, like, it's also here's how they're the same per- like here's how they're the same here's why they're alike here's why these two guys are friends even though you always see them pitted as counterpoints because they're not counterpoints they're on the same team right i like it it's a good, it's a good bit and it has an understanding of the characters that almost feels accidental <laughs> It's good. Uh, all right, let's let's find a spot for it on the list. I, I don't think it's like top one hundred material or anything, but it it can be up in the like top third, maybe top half. It's definitely top half. Definitely yeah. top half. It's a. I mean, it's a good story. If I was going to tell someone to read, literally any, uh literally any Tom King Batman story, it would be this one. Okay. I'm trying to find where our top Tom King Batman story is. We have a lot of Batman on here. Yeah. A lot of Batman comics. Understandably. Understandably. Let's see. I'm going to start well, hold, okay. This is technically a Tom King Batman story at number 448. Batman Elmer Fudd, play for me. <laughs> That's still pretty good. Still pretty good. Still pretty good. This is better than that, I think. Oh, we have ranked this already. Have we? It is at number 482. <laughs> oh, well, I guess it's not better than that. I forgot that we had ranked it. I don't know if we talked about it for as long as we just did the first time, but we have ranked it. It was prior to 2020 that we ranked it. Okay. Because I do not have the date that okay. it was entered into the list here. So it's been long enough that it's good to talk about again. Okay. Let me see if we have the next story here. We don't. Okay. The next story on the list from Andrew is Batman annual number two, which is date night slash last rights. Date night, last rights. <laughs> That's very good. Uh, okay. So this is a Tom King, uh, Lee weeks story. <sighs> yes. The, the story in the interior title is Some of These Days. That's a terrible story title. Yeah. I, I, I can tell you straight up, I didn't read this one. Didn't read it. Yeah. 
Skip the annuals. I remember reading... We have ranked one annual. Uh, it's about Batman and Catwoman getting old together. An idea that Tom King deeply loves. Loves it. He won't let him get married, but boy, does he want them to get old. He wants him to live in sin. <laughs> All right, so this one is, uh, oh, I can tell you, if we had ranked this story, would not have done well. Because it ends with Bruce Wayne trying to lift weights and not being able to. Well, he's dying. Yeah. So you're th- you're thinking Bruce Wayne goes to the grave swole? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, well, it's like, I mean, I guess if he got old, it probably would that would happen. But like, I don't want to read about that. Who wants to read about that? I don't want to re- like. You, you know what I was thinking the other day, Matt? Uh, I saw the the trailer for the Flash movie, which I still do not believe is coming out. It's it, the release date is fast approaching. It's it, it's not they're they're going to be someone's going to come to their senses, and that movie is not going to come out. <laughs> and maybe look, maybe I'll just have to shift into a new reality where where Frank Miller and John Byrne went exploring the Bermuda Triangle, and someone decided not to put this Flash movie out. Uh huh. Where and Mary was, Ellen's uh, mom is alive. Yeah, and, and, I, <laughs> and everything sucks. Oh, wait, no, hang on. That's this reality. And I was, like, thinking about that scene in the trailer where the Flash goes, Flash goes, I gotta save the world because it's where my mom lives. And I had the thought, God, I don't want any more stories about superheroes' feelings about their parents. And then another part of my brain was like, hang on. You are a noted fan of the character Batman. Mm-hmm. And the character Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And many of their stories are about their feelings about their parents. Like, well, in, in Spider-Man's case, his aunt and uncle, but yeah. His his. There is, he has a father. His name is Ben Parker. (laughs) Matt. And I was like, and so part of my brain said that, and I was like, yeah, I think you just don't like this thing. You just don't want this. You don't have to generalize it. And then I told that part of my brain, I said what I said. That, yes, your conversations with your brain are very similar to other conversations you have. We so we can't rank this Batman annual. No. The next and one. Jaunt. The next one on uh the list from Andrew, we have also ranked is Batman annual number four from the diary of Alfred Pennyworth, also known as the story Every Day. We have ranked that one. Good, so, I don't remember it. Uh, it's it's the one where it's like really quickly spinning through a bunch of different Batman stories that I wish 
would have been Tom King's run because they seem good and they're only on yeah. like a page or two. Yeah. Like it's got like Zebra Man in it. Yeah. 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 I remember that one. Uh, wouldn't it be nice to read those stories? Yeah. Instead we- of the run that we really have. We do have a backup from Andrew, which is not a Tom King Batman story. It is the Golden Age arc from Berserk by Kentaro Mura. Boy! <laughs> Still haven't read it. Boy! Boy! Boy? Okay, listen. I don't want to be hyperbolic here. That's fucking top ten material. Oh, okay. Look, Matt, I trust you and I believe you. However, I don't think we can put something in the top ten until until we both read it. Okay. 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 Just, just, just as a general, just like. Because that's a momentous decision. It is. You're right. You're right. I I strongly believe that shit's top ten material. I, again, I do believe you. It is the best Berserk ever is. And Berserk good as hell. That's That's what I hear. That's a story, just one small part of it is Guts killing 100 men in, like, an hour. <laughs> I mean, look, I do, you know I like it when a dude fights a town. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, I am a noted fan of that. That happens in One Piece sometimes, and it's the shit. Thursday Night Raw list could just be moments from Berserk. It's, Okay. I guess we, I gotta I gotta get in on Berserk. I guess we will table this because I say it could be ranked really, really. All high. right, Matt. Matt, here's my proposal. June is your birthday month. That's true. For comics catch up in June, whatever we were gonna do, which I think was some bullshit, I didn't want to read. I don't know that we had anything planned. We should instead do Berserk. Okay, it's a lot, though. That's fine. I mean, it'll take me a bit, but it's fine. Okay. You can just go to the end of the Golden Age arc, which is still a good amount. But it it is the second arc of the comic. The Black Swordsman arc is pretty short. The Golden Age arc is like half the run of the series. But if you think you can sit down and power through all of the Golden Age arc, then that's what we'll do for catch-up. Okay. All right, then, then we'll do it. I think there's one argument to be made. Well, maybe two arguments to be made for why it shouldn't be in the top ten. But my contention is 
that Berserk is maybe the only example of a story where the use of these pieces are justified. Even though Mira did eventually apologize and say he went too far by including those elements in the story later. So those elements could keep Berserk out of the top ten. Okay, interesting. Or the Golden Age, specifically. Uh, but okay, I think that is agreed. All right, so, so it shall be. So it shall be. Our next list, Chris, comes from Adam Kepler, who has some odd personal firsts for us. <laughs> okay. These these were his first comics with these characters in them. All right. Uh, so first up was Adam's first Superman comic, Superman, Superman number 500 by Jerry Ordway and Tom Grummet. Uh, this was the book that came in the white poly bag because Adam says he missed out on the, uh, the black poly bag with Superman number 75. Uh-huh. So he, he had to get that white poly bag. Okay. So this would have been adventures of Superman. Yes. I think that's, that, that's right. Yeah. Cause okay. the, Superman had the post-crisis numbering. Yes. But Adventures of Superman kept the original numbering. Yeah. Boy, that that white poly bag. I've seen a lot of those in my time. Mm -hmm. Working at the comic book store. Dropping them into the the, the old dollar box. Uh, Buddy, let me tell you something about uh, Jerry Orboy, Tom Grummet. That's a comic that's going to look good. That's a comic that's going to be well told. It's good looking. Now, is that comic also going to be a good comic that is fun to read? (laughs) That's the question. Because, I mean, this is, you know, this is all about, uh, this is all about uh, Pa Kent, and you know how I feel. Matt, those stories about superheroes and their parents. <laughs> I said what I said. Pocket pa- is in the hospital. Pocket has a heart attack and he's yeah. dying. Yeah. And he goes to the afterlife where uh, Superman is also. And, and like, it's, I mean, it's, it's a pretty cool sequence, actually. Like, uh, I believe, I believe Jerry Ordway draws all the afterlife sequences and Tom Grummet draws all the stuff that's, uh, that's in the, the, like, regular world. All the stuff that has Gangbuster in it, basically. Yeah, fucking Gangbuster. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, like, it's cool. Kismet shows up, who you might know as, uh, the DC Universe version of Eternity. Uh, that's right with the starfield as her body and everything yeah and pa kent saves superman from going uh to the to kryptonian super hell uh i I do like that at one point pa kent 
and Jor-El and Superman are all in the same scene, and Superman goes, Jor-El, my true father? And it's like, man, fuck you, Clark. <laughs> you could say birth. Birth father. <laughs> yeah, my Kryptonian father? What a dick move. Uh, and then uh, you get a little teaser for for the reign of the Superman at the end of this. You get the Eradicator and the Cyborg and John Henry Irons and uh, uh, Superboy. And also, if you didn't get some of the Christ imagery that has been happening in Death of Superman up to this point, uh huh. Lois goes into a tomb that sincerely looks like Jesus's tomb. He is risen indeed, yes. And opens the coffin and it's empty. Yeah. The, the stone is rolled away. Yeah. By Lois Lane. Mm-hmm. Is, is, who is the cop she's with? That's not Dan Turpin, is it? Uh, I th- it might be. I don't remember who that character is. W- one important detail about Pa Kent in the afterlife is he's wearing his World War II uniform the whole time. That's 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 Henderson. Is that oh, Henderson. Okay. Uh, Artist of like, Could it be more? What, what, what this was? What like nineteen ninety? Probably. No, no. This uh, 93, 94? 93. Yeah, ninety three. Yeah. I mean, could it be? What could be more nineteen ninety three? remember the greatest generation than having a man who would be the age of a World War II veteran remember himself and be his natural self in his World War II soldier uniform. Uh-huh. Uh, just a funny detail. Um, this story is, it's not bad, but it's it's a good version of a story I don't necessarily want to read. Yeah, it's it's the the death of Superman. Wouldn't it be wild, by the way, if uh, Jesus had died fighting a bone monster <laughs> after being rocketed to Earth when heaven exploded? As Grant Morrison is fond of saying, would in fact have been wild. That would have been. I I think that would have been the way to go. Honestly, if I could go back and give. I mean, this is the uh, this is another podcast that I do. But if I could give Christianity some notes, mm-hmm. I would say go back and have uh, Jesus Christ die fighting a bone monster. Have have the cross be a bone monster. Yeah, I mean, he, he like I mean, Golgotha, Skull Mountain. It's true. Keep Fair the cross. Keep the cross. Keep the cross. Good branding. Oh, but maybe the cross instead of being red on yellow, it's red on black for a little while. Because of but the events of our worlds at war. The cross is also a bone monster. Because that's what Jesus looks like in Kingdom Come. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a bone monster. It's a it's a bone monster whose name is Cross. Ooh. Now we're getting into some life old stuff. <laughs> Don't cross cross, man. Exactly. Exactly. This is good. This is good shit. This is good. 
Death of Superman 2 is going to be... Death of Superman 3, I guess, is going to be great. I think this story is fine. It's, I it's like I said, it's a fine story, but not a story I particularly want to read. I do like that the kind of premise of this story is that is then going, no, 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 no. Superman's dead, dead. Like he's here. He is in, in Kryptonian super hell. Yeah. Kryptonian super heaven, whatever it is. Kryptonian afterlife. But he's Superman. He might be able to fight his way back from the dead. Just maybe not in the form you expect. Now go read these other four comics where, and see if you can figure out which one of these dudes is going to be Superman is the real Superman. The spoiler, of course, none, none of them were the yeah. real Superman. I don't know if uh, you can, spoiler warning for the death of Superman, 1994, uh, 1993, uh, but none of them was Superman. Here's how, you know, Superman is in the afterlife, by the way, he's wearing his cape in front. Jor-El shows up and he's like, have you been wearing it on your back this whole time? Oh my god. <laughs> I feel like, you know how Worf was raised by humans? Uh-huh. And so, like, once he realized that his parents are, like, really sweetheart, good-natured Russian people, like, every time he's like, like, no, this is, this is how it, Klingons do it. Like, you're like, you grew up, like, Alexander Roshenko is your dad dog. I feel like that's Superman with like Kryptonian stuff. Like he's just doing his best kind of trying to figure it out for himself. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. interpreting it like secondhand. Yeah. The, the, the culture of his, uh, birth. Unless you like those bad stories where Superman has a hologram of his dad that he goes and talks to every time he has a problem. Yeah, of his real father. My um, real father! <laughs> Dick move, Clark. The secondary stuff in this story, the stuff with Gangbuster, the stuff with um, the takeover of the Daily Planet, I don't care about any of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... That that is the interesting thing about this era of Superman comics that we've you know we've talked about this a little bit before that like it is the era of the kind of Marvelification of Superman comics where like there is that ongoing soap opera story yeah for all this stuff it's but you know it is not remembered fondly. Uh, but it is a big part of those books. It's not remembered fondly. It's not remembered, really. Yeah, I, I, I would say fondly, it's just, it's just forgotten. Like, everybody remembers the big Superman stuff. I don't even remember the guy's name who took over the Daily Planet. Uh, Morgan Edge, Matt? Morgan Edge. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. It's Morgan Edge. <laughs> <laughs> not fondly remembered by anyone other than me <laughs> me and Chad Bowers be uh be talking about this stuff all the time 
Apparently, Morgan Edge, the character Morgan Edge, was on the Supergirl show. Uh, yes. Yeah, oh, Morgan, Morgan Edge has been around for a long time. Morgan Edge is a Jack Kirby creation. That I forgot, yeah. Yeah, uh, this is 90s Morgan Edge. Yeah. I forgot that he he put a big G on the building. Um, yeah, Galaxy Broadcasting, man. Galaxy Broadcasting, right. Yeah. And there's like a whole scene in here with him and Cat Grant. And let me tell you who never got over. Cat Grant. Cat Grant did not get over until the Supergirl show. Yeah, yeah. Where she was then too expensive for the second season. <laughs> and so it like immediately left the show. Uh all right, let's uh let's rank this. Like I mean it's alright. It's fine, yeah. It's fine. It, this is a very top-heavy list, so do you, do you think it makes it like like let's see? I mean, at I, number nine hundred, we have Calvin and Hobbes nailing the table. It's not that good. Yeah, we have Loki one through five. Daniel Kibblesmith's Loki one through five at nine hundred one. It's not that good. At uh, at the quads, Multiversity Society of Superheroes is number one thousand. It's not that good. It's not that good. Uh, at ten fifty, Spider-Man's Tangled Web: The Thousand, it's, the book that was reprinted so many times. We're in the neighborhood there. Yeah, uh, eleven hundred Gun Show: The Anime Club. I don't think it's that good. Oh wow! Okay, the Anime Club's pretty good. Twelve hundred is Wolverine Origin. Okay, interestingly, at eleven oh one, we have the death of Captain Marvel. Another good comic that is a story we don't necessarily want to read. Yeah, I think it's... I think that's kind of objectively better than this, though. I agree. But I think the 1100s is the neighborhood. I th- Okay, I think it's better than Green Lantern, Green Arrow. Because my secret is I don't think Green Lantern, Green Arrow is actually that good. All right, I think Green Arrow Quiver is better. Probably the best Kevin Smith comic. Then let's put it there. The new number, 1106, Adventures of Superman, number 500. What is the, what is the title of this, of this comic book? I'm just going to put Superman in Afterlife as uh, my note. But the title of the after issue... Death. Yeah, the title of the issue is Life After Death. And death is in a death font. Death font? That's our band. Death font. Next up on Adam's list is Batman number 424 by Jim Starlin and M.D. Bright. Boy! That is the issue where Robin might be a murderer. Yeah, boy. Yeah, it is. Yeah, dog. (laughs) You know who else's one of their first comics was? That? This guy right here? This guy right here. I could I could give you panel by panel everything that happens in this comic right now. <laughs> it's so 80s. It's so 1980s. That issue is from 1988. It is. And the plot of it is Lethal Weapon 2. There's like it's all 
a guy on cocaine who has diplomatic immunity. And it's real grim, and then Jason Todd fucking kills a guy. Yeah, this is before... I mean, well, Jason Todd was Jason Todd at this point, but like... This was back when Jason Todd was, by appearance, pretty indistinguishable from Dick Grayson. Yes. Except for maybe slightly longer hair. But the costume was Dick Grayson's costume and, and everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, he he was he was the boy wonder. Yeah, but uh, th- this is the issue that ends with Batman asking Jason Todd. I have to know. Did Robin, you him or did he slip? Did Felipe fall or was he pushed? And Jason Todd says, "I guess I spooked him. He slipped." And then Robin swings away while Batman stands on the balcony and contemplates. Yeah, and that's like the moment where you're like, oh, Jason Todd's got to die. <laughs> Seriously, that's where that's where you're pretty much like, yeah, the, that guy's on his way out. I don't think I ever realized that Jim Starlin wrote a bunch of these Jason Todd comics. Yeah, man. Jim, I mean, Jim Starlin wrote Death, Death in the Family. Yeah, I, I think I knew that, but I, like, Jim Starlin is not a writer you always think of when you think you of Batman. You don't think of him as a Batman guy, even though he was on the book for like a year and did Death in the Family. Like, he's yeah. he's like the immediate post-Frank Miller guy on Batman. Yeah. And Just like, you immediately think cosmic stuff when you think Jim yeah. Starlin, or I do. And so it's weird to think of him as a Batman writer, but he did. He did a good a good chunk of it. Oh, he did Ten Nights of the Beast? Yeah, bud. I always forget that. It's weird that you forget these things of which I am incapable of forgetting. <laughs> I met Jim Starlin at Heroes Con a couple years ago, and I talked to him about uh, this issue and uh, particularly the issue that follows and uh, like how like I was like yeah these were some of my first Batman comics they are still some of my favorite Batman comics they mean a lot to me he did not like remember these which is very funny it, you would think he would at least remember the Jason Todd kills a guy issue. Yeah, I don't think he remembered the issue where Batman throws a car battery. Yeah, yeah, that I understand. But the, yeah, which the is Robin the sequel to this? They're kind of they're kind of one story. Yeah, they are, but they are very distinct issues. Like, because the reason Batman throws a car battery at a guy is because it's 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 Felipe's father. Right. Right. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's one of Felipe's father's guys, but you know what I mean. I th- I think we can call these stories distinct. They are pretty distinct stories, I think. Ultimately, um, here's the thing that objectively is bad about this story: is the Batman. Okay, so the the reason the reason Robin kicks Felipe off the balcony, uh, is 
that uh, Felipe does drugs because he's a South American with diplomatic community in an 80s comic. It's not, that part's not great either. Yeah. When, when he speaks in Spanish, it's in a different font. Yeah. Like it's, it's so, it's so 80s. And there's a, there's a word balloon. There's a speech balloon that is come to Juan mi uno poco. And come to is in one font. And Juan mi uno poco is in a different font. Or I guess it's just, italicized but that's that's what we're working with there so uh so felipe uh beats up his girlfriend uh and then it turns out oh he has diplomatic immunity you know the diplomatic immunity the same thing the joker had it's a huge deal in Batman comics in a certain period of time. People were really concerned about diplomatic immunity in the eighties. I feel like yes, yes. Is it is it a big deal? Are people out there doing murders and getting away with it due to diplomatic immunity? I guess a lot of diplomats were doing crimes in the eighties. Yeah, I guess. Uh, anywho, uh, so they try to get Philippe arrested. But they can't diplomatic immunity, so uh, they can't stop him from uh, beating up his girlfriend, who winds up committing suicide. Uh, and that's why Robin kills the guy. Like it's not less like Robin decides to kill this guy. It's, this guy's a huge piece of shit. Uh, and Batman's like, "Well, we'll get him sent back to South America, and he won't be able." To, uh, to, to follow his father into the diplomatic corps, and that'll just have to be enough. And it's like, motherfucker, you're Batman. You do not have to abide by these rules. Yeah, that's my Batman. least favorite. I remember when we talked about that Superman story from Superman Red and Blue. Uh-huh. Where it was like Superman Superman is like, I really want to take this down this dictator, but I can't. And is there anything more deflating and terrible in a superhero story than that? Yeah. Like, you are literally Batman and not a cop so that you can do this stuff. Like that that has bugged me since I was a kid. Yeah. But on the other hand, this has a scene, one of my favorite uh, Batman non-fight scenes ever, uh, where this guy, uh, you know, because he's from South America, uh, he pulls out a switchblade, and he's he's holding it on uh, uh, Robin, and then Batman says, why don't you try, you know, why don't you try some more your own size? And he comes to Batman, and then the next panel is, 20 seconds later, and Batman is in the same pose with, you know, hands on his hips. Uh, and that dude has been bent backwards through the wall. An exterior wall, I should note. <laughs> his feet are still on the ground. But he is, his back is parallel to the floor, 
and his torso is through a wall. Batman fucked that dude up. Yeah. You'll love yeah. to see it. All right, so so I think we're saying that this issue is kind of a mixed bag. I mean, I love it, but yeah. Yeah. So where I mean, do you think it goes? I love it. It's good, but it's also bad. It's good, but it's also a little bit bad. Yeah. It's also so, a little bit racist. Just, you so know. Where, where, where does it go? Where does it go on the list? <sighs> I mean... Below the Superman story we just ranked? I would rather read it than that, honestly. Because yeah. yeah. also, like, we've talked a lot about the story. Doc Bright, good as hell. M.D. Bright, one of the most underrated pencilers of all time. Really? Um, he's one of those artists who really changes his style with the times. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no distinctive Doc slash M.D. Bright style. And so, I think that's part of why he's so underrated. Is because it's kind. His style is just kind of whatever the artistic style of the time is. Yeah, uh, like Ron Friends in that way. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, but I mean, that dude drew this and drew the Snake Eyes trilogy, and is maybe like that makes him the most nineteen eighties artist of all time. Yeah, but also one of the most 1990s artists of all time because he drew fucking Quantum and Woody. He did draw Quantum and Woody. He's good at it, too. Yeah. But, like, the art in Quantum and Woody is so different from the this art. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This art is as 1980s as it can be, and that art is as 1990s as it can be. And these books were, what, six years apart? Yeah. Seven years apart? So, yeah, he's just... Very adaptable, uh, old MD Bright. He also drew, if I remember right, uh, what was that? What was that JMS book that he drew? <laughs> Rising Stars. Did he draw Rising Stars? I think he did. Wow. Uh, I wouldn't know, but I won't hold it against him. Anyway, this book's pretty good. I think it's. <sighs> I I can't rank this book. There this book has some critical flaws to it and it was literally one of the first comic books I ever read. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Like I can't I cannot separate like I cannot separate its quality from my opinion of, of it. Oh, until, before I get corrected, he did not draw rising stars. There was a character with the last name Bright in Rising Stars. Oh, right, right. And there's like that mini series or one shot or something. Was, yeah. I do think he did a book with JMS, but I don't remember what it was. So don't at me. D- nobody at me. Nobody ever at. I mean, you're not around on a place where you would be added. That's true. I I don't look at Twitter all that much anymore anyway, but please don't at me. Anyway, I'm sorry, continue. 
I can't, I cannot separate my feelings from this being like literally a top 10 comic in my life. <laughs> like I wouldn't be here if not for this comic, you know, like in a very literal sense, there That's is fair. a straight line from this comic to me talking about comics on this show. But you're also cognizant of its flaws. I am cognizant of its flaws, but like, I'm over here being like, yeah, I mean, like, it has the plot of, you know, like, Lethal Weapon 2, and it's, even its creator doesn't really remember it that well, uh, and and Robin kills a man, but, and, and there is a full caricature, the uh, country that he's from, by the way, is Bogotago, not Colombia, right? Not Colombia, but Bogotago is the uh, the country. Like I the, can't, I I can't, I can't separate it. The capital of Bogotago is Colombia. Hilarious. I don't know that that's true. I just made that up, but that that's that's good. Right. Put it in the put it in the DCU RPG. Yeah. You give me a ranking, and I will pull it down for you. Five. No. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying, dude. That would put it above Watchmen, which I think is true. I think it should probably go... Somewhere in the 900s. Blood is the Harvest is currently number 949. This is better than that. I would put it above Blood is the Harvest. I would put it above Sandman Preludes and Nocturnes, which is at 939. I would also put it above that. You and I are the only three people in the world who would do that, but I would. I would put it above Poop Butt, which is at 929. I don't know that I would put it there. You know what it is equally good as? What? At 928, Gambit versus Bishop, Nuff said. Yes, that is true. Equally formative comic books for the two of us. That we also recognize the flaws in. Yeah. I I would say this could go either above or below. I would put it above it, but it's not better than the debut of Supergirl at nine twenty seven or Spider Girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's fully true. Philippe did not go on to have a hundred issue series. So that's Batman number four twenty four, Diplomat's Son. Uh, I'm gonna call it, or I'm gonna just put in parentheses. Robin kills a guy. Because that's what happens in that issue. Our last story here on the list from Adam is Punisher War Journal number eight by Carl Potts and Jim Lee, uh, which was Adam's first Punisher comic. This comic book on page three. (laughs) Yes, you know, I've read it. Has like on page two. A dude gets tapped on the shoulder, just standing out on the street, talking to somebody reading the newspaper. (laughs) 
he's talking to a lady with her baby. I mean, you, you said page three. It's actually page two. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's, it's page two. A double page spread. On page two and three, he is just brutally gunned down, lovingly rendered by Jim Lee, with by uh, two dudes with Uzis. Yeah. Just, just got. So that's what this comic is about. This comic is about the kind of criminals who just gun down random people, random innocent people. And the Punisher brutally killing them while wearing a gas mask. Like... Yeah. He shoves. He literally shoves one of the criminals in a trash can. Yeah. Um. Whatever you might think about media, and like the content of media, there was a time when, when the like kids got these comics. Yes, you would go to the fucking Super America gas station. And a kid would grab an issue of Batman where Jason Todd kicks a uh, drug addict uh, uh, who beats his girlfriend until she commits suicide. Uh, and then a, an issue of Punisher. I guess this was a few years later. This was, No, this is 89. So this is like hot on the heels. It's, it's uh, to, to be as different visually as these two comics are. It's wild to think about how they're a year apart. Yeah, because this is Jim Lee as hell. By the way, there's also, like, it is not shown, but, like, there's also not just the one guy, but a local mother pushing a baby carriage, who I think also get just riddled with bullets. But, yes, it's not shown. It's... You just see the guy getting shot. You see the baby carriage kind of in the corner of the page. Yeah. There's one baby leg. That would not fly at today's no. Walter Elias Disney's Marvel Comics. No, I, I agree. It would not. I mean, I don't think this whole random people, people randomly gunning other people down on the street would fly. Also, uh, there's a, there's a, um, a Punisher's Arsenal page in this, uh, which is about th- these pages would later be uh, collected and expended on in Punisher Armory, a comic that's real, that is nothing but very lovingly rendered guns, real life guns that the Punisher likes with his notes about how great they are. By Elliot R. Brown. Those originally ran in Punisher War Journal. So that's what's in this comic. This would not... This this would not happen, and you would have to go to a specialty store to buy it today. Uh, Here's... uh, This is a 5.7 millimeter uh, PN90 on this page. And here's what Frank Castle has to say about it. It looks funny. It has no climb. It feels like a BB gun, and it goes right through 48 layers of Kevlar body armor. I like the transparent clip. You can watch the bullets feed. 
Yeah, dog. Here's here's the verdict on this comic book. It sucks, but it also kind of rules. <laughs> that's exactly it. That is exactly that's exactly it. It sucks, but it kind of rules. It has micro micro's van that shoots fire out of its hubcaps. Yeah, man. And then at the end, there's just a a lady, an Asian lady, obviously, who knows karate. Yeah. And and, and kicks her dad. Well, that's that's a strike against it, I think. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know, man. Like, you're... Your evaluation of it is fully correct. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I feel like we have a lot of comics that kind of fall into this category where it's like, it's it's fun in its way, but if you think about it at all, it sucks. Yeah, it's objectively bad. Yeah. But it does kind of rule. Is it better than Punisher versus Wolverine, which is at 1163, the story where uh, Punisher runs over Wolverine with a steamroller? Uh, yes, because that there's, there's nothing about that that rules. Is it better than Do Not Fall in New York City? I would say nothing about that rules, other okay. than it's you know generally well-written and drawn. <laughs> Is it better than Punisher Year One? No. No. Yeah, I, okay. I think... Okay, it's better than Avengers number 83, where feminism is an evil plot. I think we'll put it below Jim Driscoll in The Reigns to Danger. That is the Lee Jeans ad. Mm-hmm. 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 Which I guess does kind of rule. So the new number 1155 is Punisher Warren Journal number 8. I almost said Pornisher. You you did. So the the title of this issue, the actual (laughs) title of this issue, is Damage. Yes, as we see a baby get shot. (laughs) All right, Chris, our next list comes from Joel Valentin, who has... Uh, a list called The Many Deaths and Loves of Spider-Man. Okay. I think we may have ranked these. We've we've ranked the night Gwen Stacy died, right? I believe we did. Uh, did. It's at 163 currently. Yeah. I I feel like maybe we did this list. We did Spider-Man versus Wolverine, Mm -hmm. and we did the Sean McKeever Mary Jane books, right? Yes. Okay. Maybe we did this list. Maybe Joel resubmitted this list or something. Uh, So we've done this one. So we'll move on to the next one. Actually, I may have hit the point in the submissions that we had already done. Because I think we may have done these Calvin and Hobbes strips too. Okay. This list was from Jeff Wickstrom. Uh, let me see. 
Did I Gumbler not Pops. ask people to stop stop sending in comic strips, please? <laughs> I mean, this was from almost a full year ago. Okay. Okay, we have ranked these as well. So, you are hearing live on air where I caught up with... I, I have closed the gap. I have caught up to where we had uh, gotten before, which means I now have to look through and find where we finished these submissions. Uh, so let's see. We have ranked... Have we ranked Superman Pretends to be Satan to Capture Criminals? I remember that. Yes. Have we ranked Resurrection Night and Batman 400? Uh, I'm not sure. Let's see. I don't have Batman 400 on my list. All right, so... We're going to take this list from uh, Jolene, which starts with Batman 400 Resurrection Night. I've definitely read this. Mm-hmm. I just need to refresh myself real quick. And you know, folks, other other podcasts would deny you the content of, of us figuring this stuff out while we record on air. But we don't. We leave, get it it all all. we leave it you all get in the floor for you. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. For those who don't know, somehow a bunch of line stepper lists from like last spring got skipped over. And so we were doing all of those, but I, th- we seem to have caught up now and all of those that we missed got, have been covered. So if you send in a list from a year or go or more, and you're a line stepper, and we haven't done it yet, speak up, and I'll make sure that one gets done, because we should have covered everything up to, I think, maybe last fall. So that that's something special that happened on the 100th Every Story Ever special, I guess. That is true. How momentous! So this is uh, this is you know Batman number four hundred. It's a big anniversary issue, uh, and it is it's an artist jam, and it's kind of a wild artist jam because of when it happens. So this is this is nineteen eighty six. This is October of eighty six, right? So and it's one of the last pre crisis Batman stories. It's a Doug Doug Munch story. Yeah, Doug Monch writes it, and then the artist that you get, it's 86, it's a big Batman issue, Bill Sienkiewicz does a, a sequence in this as a chapter, Brian Boland does a chapter in this, uh, but then like also like Tom Sutton and Steve Lealoa and like <laughs> people you would absolutely expect, like there's a, there's a Joe Kubert chapter i'll just go through chapter by chapter and say who the the artists are yeah yeah, yeah. chapter one is by steve lytle and bruce d patterson and it looks pretty good yeah it's pretty good you don't really hear about steve lytle but it looks good chapter two is george perez so of whom you may have heard 
Lots of characters on these pages. Lots of characters on these pages. Chapter 3 is by Paris Cullens and Larry Malstead. Chapter 4 is by Bill Sienkiewicz. And you can tell. Yeah. It's pretty distinct. Pretty distinct from Steve Lealoa. Yeah. Very Bill Sienkiewicz-y. Chapter 5 is by Art Adams and Terry Austin. And this is that like mid eighties Art Adams art style, where it's very like kind of sketchy. Chapter six is by Tom Sutton and Ricardo Villagran. Chapter seven is by Steve Lealoa. Chapter eight is by Joe Kubert, and you can tell. Chapter nine is by Ken Stacy, and. Who else have we got? Chapter 11 is by Brian Boland. I skipped over chapter 10. That's by Rick Leonardi and Carl Kiesel. So it's a lot of like artists who would become huge and artists who were big, who had been big years earlier. Yeah, this is like, this is right before Brian Boland does the killing joke, you know? This is like Judge Dredd Brian Boland. Yeah, this is Brian Boland also draws the epilogue. Um, yeah. Which is um, <laughs> Batman and all of his friends having a party in the Batcave. Yeah, you know, like you do. Like you do. It's, yeah, it's Catwoman, Harvey Bullock, Alfred, Vicky Vale, Jim Gordon. I hope, I hope any of them understand why. Uh, Alfred is there. <laughs> well, they're in the Batcave. So yeah. what what I find interesting, uh, so this book is an artist jam. It's also a villain jam. It's like all the villains are in the story. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the, the premise of the story is that all of the villains get out of uh, Arkham. Uh, it's Rosal Ghoul. Rosal Ghoul arranges it all, and so the you you get Rosal Ghoul uh, versus Batman, drawn by Brian Boland in here. Looking, it's so weird because I mean, it doesn't look like Batman. It looks like Judge Dredd. <laughs> yes, yes, which is so weird because Brian Boland is like six months away from being famous in comics for drawing a Batman story. Famous in American comics, I mean. Right. Right? Like, I feel like, I feel like Brian Boland was, like, a big deal for, like, comics people by, like, before Killing Joke, but that was his big thing, right? It's the thing he's still probably most known for. Yeah. Uh, Outside of, like, some really good Wonder Woman covers, I guess. Yeah. But, like, looking at this, it's it's hard to see anything but gaze into the Fist of Dread. That said, his Ra's al Ghul looks cool as hell. Oh, it looks good! Like, it, it, it just, it weirdly, t- the staging of it feels, that's the thing. It's the layout and the staging doesn't feel like American comics, it feels like 2000 AD. Because it's a lot of panels on a page. I mean, look, you, 
you're not wrong, but Batman doing a belly to belly suplex on Ra's al Ghul into a Lazarus pit. That's pretty fucking good. You get a good shot of Ra's al Ghul's feet too in there. If you want that, if you're a freak. Yeah. If if you want to go to wiki feet and post that, uh, you can, he's also wearing a thong. Yes. It's, but I, it's, I think it's Batman who looks like judge dread. Cause he's got a scowl on his face all the time. But I'm I feel just, like, like obsessed with this sequence and how it looked, like how it doesn't quite look like Batman to me. Like on the next, uh, the first page of the epilogue where he's like in the Batcave and everybody's telling him happy anniversary and he's got a huge scowl on his face and he's all bandaged up. Yeah. That's, that's as Judge Dredd as you could possibly be. But I feel like Ra's al Ghul, like his Ra's al Ghul is like really on point. I I love the way he draws Ra's al Ghul in this. It's very good. It's very yeah. good. Brian Boland, pretty good. Pretty good. The story's uh, fine. The story's, story's fine. fine. The story's yeah. fine. I mean, like, as far as, like, big anniversary artist jams go, it's better than most of them. It's very enjoyable. It's kind of got everybody you want to see. Uh... It's it's weird how minor the Joker is in this, like in in retrospect, like Joker kind of barely in it. Yeah, I mean, all the villains are just kind of like there to be there, right? Yeah, like, but you get like a little, you know, you get there's a lot of Russell Gould, obviously, but like you get a Killer Croc chapter, you get a Poison Ivy chapter, you get a. Yeah. The, the the Joker chapter is mostly about Joker trying to steal the bat signal with a helicopter, which is pretty great, honestly. And I wish they would do more stories like that. There's a Scarecrow chapter. Yeah. But it's really short. And more fewer stories where Joker commits like a million murders at a time, more stories where the Joker tries to steal a, the bat signal with a helicopter with his own face on it. Please. K23. Yes. He's trying to steal, like, all of police headquarters. <laughs> it's him and the Penguin just, like, yeah. being like, hey, let's do some weird TV shit. This, so you said this is, like, one of the last pre-crisis Batman stories. Uh-huh. And it really, really exists in some kind of, like, liminal space between pre-crisis and post-crisis. Yeah, like, the the weird thing about Batman is, like, it's Superman and Wonder Woman had such a hard transition out of, of Crisis, and Batman kind of doesn't. Well, that's always been the case with Batman, right? Yeah, like, the same New thing happened with 52. Yeah, exactly. It's, like, big changes for Superman and Wonder Woman and other characters. But Batman just kind of keeps on keeping on. Yeah. Like, obviously, you know, year one happens in in Batman 404. So we're very close to that happening. But that's just kind of like, you know, hey, here's the new origin. And then, and, and then you know, he, Jason Todd gets reintroduced in the next issue, stealing Hubcast off, off the Batmobile. So it's, th- there is that change. But it's not the change of, like, 
Krypton was completely different, and Wonder Woman has not existed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's so weird. Like, this is one of the final pre-crisis Batman stories. It's... No one would ever link it together, because we have Dark Knight Returns. But this is the Batman version of whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Yeah, like, I can see that. Except we, no one would ever think that because it's by Doug Monch. <laughs> no offense, no offense, but like, but right, like Doug Monch does not get mentioned in the same conversation as Frank Miller and Alan Moore. No, and there's I am not casting judgment or aspersions on any of those creators. But that's true. And this is it, though. This is like, here it is. Here's the last big fight with all the villains doing the stuff that they did in this version of the DC Universe. But, you know, no one's ever going to think of this story that way. Yeah. So is is year one the f- like first story after Crisis? I mean, it's definitely the first. It's definitely the like the first aesthetically and thematically post-crisis Batman story. Yeah, because I'm looking at four hundred one, four hundred two, and four hundred three, and they're just kind of like fill-ins. Yeah, four hundred one introduces Magpie. Look, that Magpie issue is very important to me, and someone should submit it. That was one of my first comics. Well, I guess... I guess... Well, 401's a Legends tie-in, so I guess that's after Crisis. Yeah, it feels like it's not a hard... Like, we think of, like, the event begins here, because that's how comics have been since the 90s. Yeah. But I feel like post-Crisis, everything was kind of, like, weirdly nebulous. Um. And so we think of year one as being like the hard start of post-crisis. But I think there's a little like weird gray area in there. Superman number one is, is January of 1987. It's cover dated January of 1987. Yeah. So that kind of like, that's where I would pin it. 403 is January 87 for Batman. Yeah. But so you're one. You're one starting a Legend month later. In November 86. Because Legends is after, Legends is the year after. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> DC Comics, man. They've been like this for years. It's true. Anyway. The, Batman 400 is a fun if inconsequential might be the wrong word. I mean, it is, it's very inconsequential fun, but inconsequential issue. I think it is the, it it, it is every anniversary issue, like every DC comics anniversary issue. Cause it, it is self-contained and like ultimately doesn't matter. 
You know, <laughs> like that's every DC anniversary issue because they always want to do like here's a celebration of you know the past fifty years of this character, and it never like. I'm trying to think of like a big number issue that works. And it's like FF number 50 and Amazing Spider-Man number 50. Amazing Spider-Man 50, which Amazing doesn't Spider-Man number 100. Amazing Spider-Man 100. Amazing Spider-Man 50 doesn't feel like a like a it's big anniversary an issue. issue either. Yeah. It's just an issue, yeah. Yeah, it just happens to be like one of the most important issues of Spider-Man. Yeah. But like they like all these anniversary issues where like they kind of go back and, and and it's you know the big celebration. Like Batman 900? I guess. Batman 900 and Amazing Spider-Man uh 600. Yeah. It was pretty good. Yeah. I don't know. It's fun. It like if you if you get this bad boy in a dollar box, you've gotten your money's worth for sure. This one extra doesn't matter, though, right? It's like extra inconsequential because yeah, because yes, it's coming right before a soft reboot, but for Batman, yeah, a much reboot. softer reboot for Batman than it was for anybody else. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. I I will reiterate: somebody submit that issue where Magpie debuts. <laughs> Because it was extremely uh, important for me, it was one of my, it was it wasn't my first Batman comic, but it was one of my first Batman comics. All right, where where does Batman four hundred go, Chris? It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. A fun artist jam. Should uh, you read it? I don't know. After you read a thousand other comics, maybe. Yeah. I would like, again, I'm kind of like looking at the hundreds. Is it better than Hellblazer Hard Time? No. Probably. No, it's not. Okay. I I can't defend my feeling (laughs) on that, but. Where is Hard Time on the list? It was like 800. Yeah, yeah. This is going to go in the 1,000s, I think. Yeah. Is, is, is it better than Marvel Apes? Which I remind you, for those of you who might have forgotten, that's the story where everyone is a, a gorilla, is an ape. But then they also do turn out to be vampires. Which is so fucking good. Alright, I'm going to say Marvel Apes is better, and here's my argument for that okay marvel apes is better than it has any right to be Apes should be terrible yes this is exactly good as as good as you would expect it's exactly as good as it should be yes it's not better or worse than you would expect batman number 400 and artist jam issue to be yeah yeah uh Is it? I, I, then I think it goes right below. I think it's better than the joke eating story. Okay, so it's the new number ten thirty nine. Yeah. 
uh, Batman number 400. What's the title of this issue? Resurrection Night. That, what, that makes no sense. Why is it called that? Oh, Ra's al Ghul. Because of Ra's al Ghul, yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Next on the list from Jolene is DC Marvel All Access, numbers one through four. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Who's in this list? This is Jillian. Yeah, yeah. Jillian, what did you want us to do with this? <laughs> what do you want us to do with with DC Marvel All Access numbers one through four, featuring Access, the the character who we will never see again because he is the only character jointly owned by Marvel and DC. And who also sucks. Like, nobody's asking for access who to also come. sucks. Yeah. I mean, like, this, this does have, like, Robin and Jubilee hanging out, which I always thought that was, like, a fun idea, but it's not, like, a good, like, it's not good when it happens. This, I think... Is I don't think there's anything more indicative of what all access is than this one detail. Okay. Okay. So every issue of all access brought together a DC and Marvel character or team and like promoted it on the cover. So issue one had Superman and Spider-Man, your two flagship characters. You get them together right away, right? Issue two is the one that had Robin and Jubilee. Cause it was like, let's, let's get some, some kids favorite characters together here. Right. Mm-hmm. Issue three brings in like your big gun, super popular. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say darker characters, but it's Batman and Doctor Strange. Yeah, that's a weird choice. That's a weird combination. Wolverine busy that week? Well, see, here's the thing. Wolverine didn't show up. None of the characters who got put together in uh, Amalgam were put together in these issues. So... It, that's why I think it's not Batman and Wolverine. I mean, I guess. So then, issue four is the JLA and the X Men. Who did get put together in Amalgam? Yes, so they did. So that's the one example that did get put together in Amalgam. And look, I get it, right? get your two most popular teams in a book together. And the Avengers, we're talking 1997, so the Avengers are not the Avengers. Right. But what what are you doing? Everybody wants to see the Justice League and the Avengers. But because the X-Men are more popular, that's who you put in issue four. I don't know, man. This whole thing's a mess. It is. 
it's a means to an end, right? It's a means to get us to Amalgam, which is fun. Yeah. But, like, why even do a story explaining it? It's, it's, this is a miniseries that's the story of Jimmy Olsen's bow tie, right? It's like, you don't need to explain Amalgam. Just do it. Here's, here's my question. We talk a lot about shit that doesn't get over. Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about about characters that didn't get over. Access didn't get over. No. But Access was also never gonna get over. Like, you look at Access, and you're like, no one wanted this guy to succeed. Like, be- because he is a character jointly owned by Marvel and DC. Like, no offense to anybody out there, but they designed a character with a receding hairline. <laughs> like he's got he's got a jacket that's not even a cool jacket. He looks like if if Clark Gregg really like cut weight. Not like he got shredded or ripped, but if like he was really like really trying to slim down, which I'm well, not, he also, doesn't need to do. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying that, but I mean, he's, he's like a really rail thin Clark Gregg. He's also got the most nondescript costume you could imagine. Yeah. It sucks. Like butch guy knocked out this design in an afternoon. Yeah. No doubt. He might've knocked out this design over lunch. Yeah, bud. Like, I, I think the first time he designed this character was on the cover to DC Marvel All Access number one. <laughs> he's a he's a whole bunch of nothing. I like that he's got one red glove, one blue glove. Yeah, that's symbolic. He's got his Marvel hand and his DC hand. Yeah. Which one's red and which one's blue? I guess red is Marvel and blue is red DC. Red is Marvel, blue is DC. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I just. Why do I, again, this is what I get stuck on, because the miniseries ends with all the Amalgam characters being created. Why do you need that? Why explain it? Yeah. I mean, the answer is because it's 1997 comic books, and we think everything needs an explanation. The answer is because somebody's going to buy it. That's true. And also because if you don't explain it, Wizard Magazine's going to be like, how did this happen? It's interesting that that's your Wizard Magazine voice. That's the editorial voice of Wizard Magazine. <laughs> that's Garib Jamis? <laughs> <laughs> the owner of Black Bull Comics, yes. Oh, man. Dude, bring Gatecrasher back. Oh man, Gatecrash are good. This just doesn't need to exist. Yeah, it doesn't need to exist, and we have talked about it for far more than it needs to be talked about. I think. Yes. So let's just rank it. It goes in the why does this need to exist part of the it, list. It's a bunch of nothing. Yeah. 
At thirteen oh four is DC versus Marvel. It's I would not argue as good as that that DC versus Marvel is better. Yes, because at least it has like there's a reason for it to exist. I yeah. would like to see these characters fight. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to cast my votes. Exactly. Is it better than Heroes Reborn? Like 1996. 1996 Heroes Reborn? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's not. I would agree. It's not as good as Heroes Reborn 2021 either, which is also on the list, but yeah. Okay, I think it is better than that Garfield strip with the sheep joke that might be homophobic. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I do have a hard time saying it's better than Ultimates 2, even with Ultimates 2's flaws. But Oh, I, I have no problem saying it's better than Ultimates 2. All right. Ultimates 2, in hindsight, is way more bad than good. No, I agree. Everything about the domestic abuse storyline. Yeah, okay, yes. Where Captain America's like, I'm going to go kick Hank Pym's ass because I'm a badass. Fuck all of that. Fuck every single bit of that whole story. Is this first to know of access? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, I don't know if it's O. I don't remember if it's O. It would have to be, though. Yeah, yeah that's literally what I was about to say. <laughs> if it's not O, then he never got an O. Uh, all right. Next on the list. How if 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 you okay? Bobby, bad ideas. Yeah. All right, you're Bobby Bad Ideas. Thank you. You wanna you wanna just clear up the rights issues, you wanna bring him back. Yeah. What is the, uh, what is your like, offer? That what I say is I walk into the office and I say, feel like shit, just want him back. <laughs> yes. Yeah, very, very good, very good. Yeah. What is your offer to either DC or Marvel? You can you can work you can Bobby Bad Ideas can be working at either company for the purposes of this. What is your offer? Bobby Bad Ideas was the CEO of. Honestly, I don't remember if he was the CEO of Disney. Both he worked at both. It's funny that the real Bobby Bad Ideas is now the CEO of Warner Discovery. Yeah. Yeah, take that. Have some, some bad ideas. Take that, David Zaslav. Come at me. Come at Matt, please. Um, they took Space Ghost Coast to Coast off of Max Maxwell. Mm-hmm. So that is a company that is dead to me. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I get it. What's what's your when you call up either the Walter Elias Disney Corporation? Or whatever. Let, right, I don't know. I don't know who runs Warner anymore. 
Or or when you call <laughs> when you call Cal AOL Turner. <laughs> Let's say I am working at Warner Brothers Discovery. Okay. Warner WBD. You've got all the money that you're not that you're saving by not putting Infinity Train and Space Coast Coast to Coast on Maxwell. Yeah. I am David Zaslov, aka Bobby Bad Ideas. What is your offer to the Disney Corporation for the complete rights to access? I offer a trade. Okay. They get the uh, famous character from uh, the New 52 who, who brought the New 52 into existence. And I'm having to look up her name. Barry Allen? No. Pandora. Pandora. They get all full rights to Pandora. Wow. Okay, well, Matt, you know that that means that you would no longer be able to publish anything about the Trinity of Sin. Yeah. I couldn't couldn't publish every single New 52 first issue, because Pandora appeared in every single one of those issues. Did you remember that? I did did remember that, but it wasn't until you said that that the enormity of it (laughs) really fell onto me. But I I would give up. That's those. what you would trade. You would trade all fifty two, fifty two, all fifty two new fifty two number ones for yeah. access. Yeah. Well, I would trade Pandora specifically. We okay. could publish all those issues without the page Pandora is on. Maybe could you blur her out, or we could replace her with a different character with access. What if it had been fucking access? That would. That's what we do. We put access in Pandora's place in every Pandora appearance. See, that that makes... God, I can't believe I'm saying this. That makes more sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have fun. We have fun. It's fun to have fun, folks. We have one last issue, or one last submission from Jolene here. And Jolene, once again, is trying to get us to read Jim Ballant, Catwoman. Mm. Uh, This is Catwoman volume two, numbers 48 through 49. Catwoman joins spider. And good try Jolene to get us to read nineties Catwoman by Jim Ballant. It's a real good try. Uh, Did not and will not happen. We must be convinced, and it has not happened yet. Uh, here's what it says on the cover of Calvin or 48. Selena joins Spider. Bad move. Period. Uh, and She's covered in spiders. I think it would be a bad move for us to read it. You know what, though? This cover is not a terrible example of Jim Ballant art. It's, I mean, it's weird. <laughs> But it's not bad. I mean, look, I will maintain Jim Ballant is not a terrible artist. There is a reason he drew 77 issues of Catwoman. Yeah, it is somebody's very weird fetish. It is someone has, has someone has experienced joy because of this cover. 
I will say that. Yeah. Someone is jade out of this. But there's a backup from Jolene. Uh, it is Sensational She-Hulk number 50. Oh man, is, that, is She-Hulk going to come tear up all my X-Men? Is that what number 50 is? I, that, I know it's on the last issue. Uh, let's 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 take a look into the archive. Oh, okay, it's sensational She Hulk that yeah. that she just says she's going to tear up all your X Men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sensational She Hulk number fifty uh, is is by John Byrne. It is part of the John Byrne run on She Hulk. The cover, I believe, was a chromium cover. Yes, like a green chromium cover. Uh, where it's like She-Hulk kind of in silhouette with a uh, necklace that says 50 on it, like a diamond necklace. And what this issue is, is... Uh, what, what is it? The It's like a bunch of... It's like she goes to Marvel Comics headquarters and rev- like talks about the story she's going to be in. Yeah. And so it's a bunch of parody stuff where it's like a Sin City parody, an ElfQuest parody, a Thor, like there's a there's a Thor parody like if it ain't drawn by Walt Simonson, it sure looks like it. Uh there's a Popeye parody there's so that, a, no this this is uh I believe this is an artist jam because there's the um the Howard Chaikin uh parody page that is uh specifically a parody of Black Kiss. Right. Which I, that's amazing. That's amazing that that got in here. Let's see. There's I don't see the artists credited everywhere. Maybe it is John Byrne just doing a. Well, there's one page that is credited to writer artist Howard Mackey. If you if that's somehow not surprising, yeah. Uh, I don't know who the Popeye page is drawn by. Uh, Terry Austin. Okay. It seems like Frank Miller did the Sin City page. That is the only sequence of this issue that is where She-Hulk is not green. Like, they didn't even make her green in the black and white. It's just Sin City black and white. I like this page where Mark, uh, Mark Grunewald shows up. Yes. <laughs> yes. To <laughs> interpret Tom DeFalco. Tom DeFalco smoking a gigantic cigar. A- and all he says is, this and that, these and those, the thing of it is, these and those. And then Mark Grunewald is translating uh, into uh, like what he actually means. That's oh, the, a good bit, I guess. Yeah. The Howard Mackey page is the She-Hulk is Ghost Rider page. Ah. Uh, there's a sequence... That's like 
uh, War Zone, which I don't even know what that's parodying. <laughs> it's not a Punisher thing. I'm I'm not entirely clear. I I don't I I cannot rank this comic. Why not? I have not read it, Matt. But we know. I mean, I read it years and years ago, and yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. Uh, it's on the very last page. Special thanks to Dave Gibbons, Frank Miller, Wendy Peeney, Walt Simonson, Terry Austin, Howard Chaikin, Adam Hughes, and Howard Mackey. Although Adam Hughes, Adam Hughes's name is Adams Hughes. Adams Hughes. Adams Hughes. The the Adams Hughes. Yes. I think this is easy enough to rank. I I do. Then then. By all means, my friend. Where is the uh, Howard Chicken part? Uh, it's the the uh, the black and white page where it's all the same shot. Where like it's uh, the same shot. Where it's like a answering machine message. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this ends with uh, She-Hulk killing John Byrne, by the way. Mm-hmm. I think this is a great example of that. Like, John Byrne has a terrible ponytail. He, he draws himself with a terrible ponytail, by the way. <laughs> Which is very funny. I mean, I assume that was his actual hairstyle at the time. Yeah, probably. Uh, she yeah she throws John Byrne straight out of a window, and you see him hit the pavement with the sound effect squite. I think this is a good example of the kind of fun sensibility of the She-Hulk comic. Like we rightly and correctly talk a lot of shit about John Byrne, <laughs> as as is as you said. Correct and right. But this run on She-Hulk might have been his best work on comics. Really? Because you know he drew the Dark Phoenix saga, right? He, he drew X-Men, yes, 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 yes. Well, okay, I'll, let, me, let me rephrase then. Because his X-Men run is pretty unparalleled. This is his best comics work that he both wrote and drew. Really? The She-Hulk run. I know that you and I are not fans of of his FF in the way a lot of people are, but... Yeah. I like it more. This is more to my sensibility. Like... Because comics really didn't do this before this. You know? This kind of, like, self-parody, self-aware sort of storytelling. And making She-Hulk that character that does that and has that, that goes and meets with Marvel editorial, is a really, really fun idea. And I remember people getting mad about the She-Hulk TV show. Being like, she goes and breaks the fourth wall and talks to... uh, Marvel Kevin Feige as a robot. When has that ever happened? I mean, it, it happened here. All proving that they've never read a She-Hulk comic before. Yeah, folks, you got to read the comics. Yeah, 
you're gonna if you're gonna complain about them, you gotta read them. Yeah, like complain all you want, but be informed. And so I th- I think this is really fun, and I like it. I th- I think it is like a lot of times John Byrne is not fun. <laughs> Like on a personal level, yeah. This is this is fun. Okay. Okay. So I'm I'm willing I feel like I can be very charitable and and say that I I like this whole She Hulk run, but I think this issue in particular is very, very fun. And I like the concept of like well, let's try to do She-Hulk that's like this. Let's try to do She-Hulk that's like this. And you do a bunch of like short parody comics with She-Hulk in them. And you get the creator, the actual creators to do them. So you get Walt Simonson to draw She-Hulk as Thor. I here, Here's what I will say. This is so... This issue feels so inside baseball that I am... Shocked that this happened in a time before the internet. There is a joke about Howard Jenkins' Black Kiss in here. Who is that for? I don't know. Who is that joke for? People read that book. I mean, yeah. I guess. But here's the big thing. Even if you don't get it, even if you don't know what that page is about, it's one page. And then you're on to a Popeye parody. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's it's quick hits enough that like if so, if there's something that doesn't hit, you're on to the next thing pretty quick. I mean, the Warzone parody by Michael Yuri and Todd Britton is a little too long, I think. But I thought maybe that was a backup story. Like I cannot of, get my head around that. It kind of feels like it ought to be, but it's it's one of the parodies. Yeah. Um but like the little like sort of kids comic with the thing little She-Hulk with the thing and Doctor Doom uh is is super fun. And that's that is by John Byrne, that one. Um I don't know. I think it's fun. I think it's a really fun issue. Um is it as good as the dance slot one Bob Bobbyo, She-Hulk? No. But it's fun. Okay. All right. So let me find a spot for it. Uh, we only have two She-Hulk comics on the list. Dan Slot Juan Babio is at 338. And Red She-Hulk is at 560. Uh, that's by Jeff Parker and Carlo Pagulian. Mm-hmm. I think this probably goes below both of those. Okay. But I think this is as fun as thing in Sandman in a bar in Marvel two and one number 86. I, that is, that's absolute madness. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to put it below that, but I think this is the neighborhood. Like, Peter Parker, Spider-Man number 37, the snow day issue. I think this is on par with that. 
I mean, I could put it a little lower, I suppose. Okay. Gwynpool Strikes Back would not exist without this. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. I'm I'm trying to say maybe I put this just above Gwynpool Strikes Back. But Gwynpool Strikes Back maybe hangs together, definitely hangs together better as a story, so I'm talking myself out of it. Good. Good. <laughs> All right, Coyote Gospel. Coyote Gospel is similarly self-aware, but better. All right. I can't believe you're looking this high. I'm like halfway into the list. It's a top-heavy list, Matt. How about this? Not as good as Spider Island, which is number 749, but above Amazing Spider-Man number 300, Venom. I, you're the one who's read it, so I can't argue with you. By our own rules of if you're going to complain about it, you got to read it. Okay. All right, fine. You keep... You, it's Okay, it's not better than Hellblazer Hard Time, which is number 800. 850 is Catwoman, Why Holly Isn't Dead. That story's pretty good. Very similar to this, like, structurally, I would say, as well. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. We always talk about how nailing the table is a good gag. Yes. That's a Calvin and Hobbes strip that's at number 900. This is full of, I think, equally good gags. So I'm going to make this the new number 900 between two Calvin and Hobbes strips. You're going to Tony Hawk it? I'm going to Tony Hawk it. Okay. All right. So with the new number 900 is She-Hulk number 50. I think a very fun issue. Oh. Which I think the title of this issue is He's Dead. Yes, yes. Sensational She-Hulk number 50, I should uh, make clear. And that is the end of Jolene's List and the end of this episode, this special. We've done 100 Every Story Ever specials. We have ranked 1,457 comic books. So, from 49 to 43. (laughs) Away from 1,500. If you want to support us in this show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash warrocketajax. And at the $10 level on Patreon, you can become a line stepper to make sure that your list gets read before anybody else's, except the other line steppers, on these specials. So if you want to contribute at that level and uh, step over all the non-line steppers, then head over to patreon.com slash warrocketajax and, and make that happen. You can also just donate at a uh, dollar a month if that's all you can afford, and that's understandable. Uh, there's a $5 a month level, and we're up to a $20 a month level where you get a t-shirt. So uh, Go support us on Patreon if you can. If you can't support us on Patreon, leave us a five-star review on the podcasting app that you use. That would help us out a whole bunch. Or just tell your friends about the show. 
and let them know about it. We're on Twitter at War Rocket Pod. We're on Tumblr at warrocketpodcast.tumblr.com. Our email address is warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. You can get in touch with us in all of those places and ask for an invite to our Discord, which is by invitation only and is a great community of War Rocket Ajax fans. Our website is warrocketajax.com. It has every episode of the show we've ever done. Warrocketwiki.com is the fan repository of all the information you could ever need about War Rocket Ajax. If you want to find me and my stuff, I'm at mattdwilson.net. You can find links to my books, my comics, my other podcasts, and my social medias there. Chris, where can people find you? Everybody can find me by going to the-isb.com. That is my website, and it has links to all kinds of stuff that I do that you can find at your leisure. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed it. Matt, I hope you enjoyed it. I did. I had a fun time. It's always fun to do these, even after 100. Have we done 100 specials? Yes, this is the 100th special. So we do these once a month, so that's 100 months. Yeah. What? Did, didn't have to have that edge to your voice. I, I enjoy <laughs> spending time with you, Matt. Oh no, I just meant it's been a long time. <laughs> It ha- it has. That's true. <laughs> it's not that I dislike doing them. It's just been a long time, you, 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 and that you, reminded me yeah. of the amount of time. We've been in, we've been in this game for a while. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. We love you. We love you. Forever, 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 ever, forever. Yes. From this day on, as every greed of Mongol lived together.